Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective, Part 4. This is lesson number seven of Part 4, and uh, this is uh, a very critical lesson, not that they all aren't, uh, in my opinion, uh, but this is a very critical lesson because uh, this one is a little more practical than uh, theological, and you'll see why very uh, briefly. We've talked about, and I'll, let me read this verse, and uh, we'll go from there. Uh, it, I've read this a few times. I think you'll recognize it. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Uh, Paul talked about the, the overriding uh, work of God in his life to bring him to a place of weakness so that God could be strong through him. And he used the word infirmities as an overarching, all-encompassing term uh, just in the previous verse, verse 9. Therefore, will I uh, I glory in my infirmities, he said, uh, so that he could be made weak and God could be strong and the power of God would rest upon him. Uh, But uh, in this verse, he uses the word infirmities in the most uh, in the strictest sense, not in a figurative sense, but in a literal sense as one among many. So what we're going to do in this lesson is we're going to examine these five things, these five things that uh, God uh, uses in our lives or allows, gives permission uh, to happen in our lives in a limited basis, in order to use these things uh, to bring us to a place of weakness. Usually, there's not more than one or two of these happening in our lives at any one time. There are times, I'm sure, that there are more. Uh, I'm not sure, but it's possible that there are uh, rare days that some element of all five of these is working in us. My father loves me. My Our father loves us. Your father loves you. And he wants what's best for you. And first and foremost, what's best for you is to be saved because he came to seek and save that which was lost. But equally to that, the uh, uh, in order to stay saved, What's best for me is that God is able to work in my life to help me to grow and mature in him and become all that he planned for to me to be, for me to be so that I can so that he through me can fulfill the place he designed for me in his kingdom both in this temporal world and in eternity. So uh let's look at these things. 
First, we're going to look at the thorn of infirmities. Paul and the Holy Ghost use this word to describe his general human weakness, as I've already said, and the lack of natural ability to positively deal with life and its trials. But here, he also uses the word, this word to describe one of the five specific weaknesses that he gloried in. And so, here we are. He says, uh, uh, and, and in each one of these, I, I want to look at the original language word and the, what the di- different scholar says, says that the word means so we can understand what it is the Holy Ghost is literally specifically trying to say to us. Because, of course, as we know, the Bible is only divinely inspired in its original languages. So according to uh, Strong's, the word infirmities means feebleness of mind or body. By implication, malady uh, or sickness. Uh, it comes from the uh, root word that means strengthless in various applications, literally or figuratively or morally. Uh, Thayer says that this word in, translated infirmity means lack of strength, weakness, infirmity, used of the body, feebleness of health or sickness, used of the soul, lack of strength and capacity requisite to understand the thing, to do things great and glorious, to restrain corrupt desires, to bear trials and troubles. So while the word can be and was used frequently in other places, especially in the epistles, to describe the uh, the second uh, type of infirmity, the infirmity of the soul, the weakness of the soul, having the lack of strength and capacity requisite for all of those important things that I just read that I won't name and read again. In uh, in this verse, it is specifically talking about the literal definition, lack of strength or weakness. Uh, Vine says that this word infirmity means literally want of strength. It is the word strength with the negative prefix. Uh, it is weakness indicating inability to produce results is most frequently translated infirmity or infirmities. Uh, under the, the word weakness in vines, this same Greek word is uh, defined as he was crucified through weaknesses said in respect to the physical sufferings of Christ to which Christ voluntarily submitted in giving himself up to the death of the cross. The complete word study dictionary uh just defines the word as helplessness. Oftentimes, Paul specifically used the word infirmities from an overview perspective. That's the third time I'm saying it here. All types of situations that caused or identified some kind of spiritual weakness in man. Uh, However, many times that Greek word was used in the New Testament uh, for some kind of... uh, physical malady, and it's used as a general term for any kind of physical or mental problem. Sickness, disease, uh, uh, paralysis, blindness, uh, uh, deafness, dumbness, whatever. It is, uh, it is, it is this overarching term. It was the general word used to identify all types of negative physical issues. So therefore, as a thorn in our flesh, you and I may have, very well may have, 
physical weaknesses. Physical weaknesses. Such as, how about this one? Inability to sleep. So what do we do to try to sleep when we can't go to sleep or stay asleep? Well, even many, many believers today use chemicals to do that. Some kind of pill, some kind of sleeping aid, some kind of natural product. Well, what about the Bible says God gives his beloved sleep? I was dealing with one man several years ago, and he was going through a very trying time, and he couldn't sleep. And so uh, he battled fear, and he was battling fear really bad. And uh, and he and I, I was praying for him almost every service for, to get rid of that fear. And there would be a deliverance, and, and it would be gone, and he would know it was gone. But the next service, it was back. And I, I, I said, Lord, what is the problem? And then the Lord spoke to me, and I asked him, I said, uh, you're having a problem sleeping, aren't you? Yeah. Are you using something to go to sleep? Yes. What are you using? He told me. I said, well, there's your problem. He said, What's, what do you mean? I said, what you're doing, what you're taking to override your mind and your conscience so you can go to sleep is taking down the defense of your spirit against the, the adversary tormenting you. You're breaking down the offense, the, the, your defense. So here's what you need to do. You need to pray. Because when you can't sleep, you're supposed to be praying. And pray until you fall asleep. And if you sleep a while to wake up, you can't go back to sleep, pray. Because that's what the Lord's trying to say to us. When we can't sleep, pray. Now, in other times, he will use different things. The problem he uses may be a permanent physical condition that comes to your life. Permanent paralysis, permanent blindness, permanent deafness, permanent uh, whatever. It may be. It may be something he will not take away. Or it may be something that he uses in your, in you, your physical being for a period of time to bring you to a new place of weakness. And the idea is you take that new place of weakness out of the, out of, uh, into your life, out of the healing process. So when he's done with that thing and you're healed, you still continue in that weakness rather than reverting back to how you were living before this weakness came. So there's all kinds of ways that God can use physical weakness in our lives. In, uh, August of 2015, uh, I think it was, I fell and tore my left leg all up. I was on crutches. I could not walk. I was in great pain, went to therapists and all that. And uh, it took about a year before I was able to walk and move around without pain. And one month later, I fell and uh, tore my right Achilles tendon and uh, I was, uh, that took a year to fully recover from. And uh, I wasn't recovered from that from about, for about six weeks. And then all of a sudden I noticed pain in my knee. And uh, I, I, I went to the doctor and it was a torn meniscus. And uh, 
it did, I could walk okay with it for a while, but then progressively it got worse. And then I was eventually on crutches for a couple of months. And then I had surgery and instead of fixing it right away, it took about six months to recover from the surgery. And then all of a sudden, all of that trial was over with three, almost three and a half years of trial with not being able to walk, not being able to be very mobile. All of a sudden it was gone. It was gone. Now, the book says he maketh me to lie down. Well, he made me to sit down for sure because there was not a lot I could do for almost three solid, three and a half solid years. But now I'm healthier and more mobile than I've been probably in 10 or 15 years at almost 74. So he had a season for that. Some things that are infirmities, physical infirmities, he has a season for. It could be a short season, a long season. And sometimes there's no season at all. It's It comes and it's there for the rest of your life. Like Paul tried to pray in general of the thorn, whatever that thorn was off his life. And God said, no, no, no. So the first thorn is the thorn of infirmity. Uh, then there's the thorn of reproaches. Uh the strong says it means insolence or as overbearing or insult and injury, injury caused by the mouth. There's uh, it says it means insolent, impudence, pride, haughtiness, a wrong springing from insolence and injury, an affront or an assault, mental injury and wantonness of its infliction being prominent, injury inflicted by the violence of a tempest. Uh, Vine says that the word reproach means primarily denotes wantonness, insolence, then an act of wanton violence and outrage and injury. The complete Bible study uh, dictionary says it means hardship, insult, harm, damage, injury, and the condition resulting from violence or mistreatment. This includes, this is Vine's, this includes the ideas of shame, insult, and mistreatment. Uh, the United Bible Society translators, uh, New Testament translators handbook says that it means insults. Perhaps the meaning of the Greek word here is difficulties which are caused by being mistreated. Uh, the, today's New Testament uh, in, says, in fact, it translates the word ill treatment. The New American Bible translates it as mistreatment. So reproach, <clears throat> according to Webster's, is defined as an expression or rebuke or of or disapproval. The act or action of reproaching or disapproving was beyond approach. Uh, a cause or occasion of blame, discredit or disgrace. Discredit, disgrace, or uh, one subject to censure or scorn. So for the believer, the reproaching, this thorn of reproaching, or reproaches is primarily done by an acquaintance or even a friend or family member. It is usually a product of their rejection of our life or faith, devotion to the Lord, which they cannot understand. It is usually done by somebody whose opinion of us matters. I'm walking down the street. I'm passing people on the street. I don't know these people. Uh, I don't really have an invested interest in their opinion of me. So reproach a reproach is usually treatment 
we receive and words that are said to us from someone whose opinion of us matters. And it's negative things they say about us, sometimes to us, sometimes about us, and we hear about them. And they hurt. They hurt. These words hurt. Sometimes there are actions with this, which might be physical violence, but that's rare with a reproach. Usually the damage is done with words. Words. It's a, it's shame that's put upon us by feeling rejected by people that matters to us. And we have to deal with this. Sometimes we get offended with these people and we have to, we have to forgive them. Jesus hanging on the cross says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He set the example. He is dying from their actions, but before he passes, he forgives them because they don't really know what they're doing. Usually, uh, or there, the actions or reactions and the words of people that reproach us uh, are a defense mechanism on their part because our life and our lifestyle convicts them. And if, if we were doing like they do and living like they live, that if they shamed us, they'd be shaming themselves. So because the Lord has, the Lord has separated us and he is, has changed our character and changed our priorities. And they don't understand that. Maybe it's a family member or people we've been friends with a long time that now feel rejected. And, and without us saying a word, they feel condemned by us because the adversary is trying to neutralize the effect of the change in our lives upon them by them interpreting our change as being against them, that we're rejecting them. And so they lash out at us. And sometimes that reproach is just them cutting themselves off from us and not willing, being willing to communicate with us. That's a reproach because it is rejection and it hurts. However, because it is mistreatment, verbal, emotional, physical, etc., from someone we know and care about, it is more personal, therefore usually more hurtful than if a stranger did or said the same things. One of those stupid things that you hear when you're a kid and you accept without consideration. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never, never hurt me. Whoever came up with that was trying to defend themselves and to tell those that were hurting them, you're not really hurting me, when it was hurting them very much. Amen. So, uh, this is the danger with that. Uh, for instance, Paul, uh, David said in Psalms 55 verses 12 and 13, for it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it, it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. David said, I, I could have dealt with this a whole lot easier if it had been a stranger or somebody that hated me, and I knew they hated me. But my friend, you treated me like this? My brother, my husband, my wife, my kids, my parents, you treated me like this? You rejected me? I had the opportunity to live this very literally uh, 
for four years at the Naval Academy. I mean, literally, I live with these guys. Uh, I had roommates, of course, but when we weren't actually in the room sleeping, uh, we were interacting with all the other guys in our company, specifically our class in that company, because all four classes, freshmen, sophomore, junior, seniors, uh, fourth class, third class, second class, first class, all, all had a contingent in each of those companies. So I'm living with these people. These are the people that I breathe the same air they breathe. We go to the same classes. We march in the same formations. We play on the same, uh, 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 recreational teams. We, 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 we are on the same boats together learning ship handling. We're doing all this together. We sit at the same table every day, three times a day for the same meals. And when they, those people you can't escape from, are treating you negatively, you either have to learn to deal with it or you end up backsliding because you got to get the pressure off of you one way or the other. You either learn to got to give it to God so you can have peace that way or you cave in and go along with him to get it off you because the pressure is indescribable. And what is the pressure? Reproach. Reproach. I was only physically abused. And I, don't, I didn't say sexually abused. I mean physically ab- abused my first year. After that, it wasn't physical. After that, it was words behind my back, some to my face, uh, and it was rejection. But you know what I learned? <laughs> There's, that's one thing the adversary didn't want me to learn, but God taught me this, and he did this in me, that his comfort and his peace is so amazing that the effects of reproaches, and later on when I talk about persecution. It really is not that big a deal. Once you, once your life is dead and hid with Christ and God, he is your fortress. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. We will suffer expulsion from certain groups, families, clubs, uh, friends, whatever, because we have become followers of Jesus. That's a given. That's going to happen to you. It happened to me. It happens to everybody. Jesus said, Luke chapter 6, verse 22, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Those same Jewish leaders that Paul was their instrument and their hero that they loved so much, and he, he, helped build them up by tearing down Christianity. When he got converted, they're the ones that hated him the most. So understand this. The ones that you do your most intimate sins with, the ones you smoked dope with, the ones you got drunk with, the ones you committed immorality with, when you get saved, if they don't get saved too, Nobody's going to hate you more. Nobody's going to reject you more than them. And what's really painful is if they're a relative or a family member. It's really difficult to get around family and want a fellowship with family, but you can't talk about God. They may talk about their Christianity, but they're not sitting still for you to talk about yours. Not happening. They're not listening. They don't want to hear it because your Christianity convicts them and they think you're judging them and you're just trying to to be the Christian God wants you to be. Let him 
do in you anything and everything he wants to do. You're just seeking for the will of God to do the will of God. <laughs> Praise God. No matter what we experience, we're never in this alone. Romans chapter 15, verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for the, for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. So we're supposed to be in this together, so brothers and sisters. So when somebody's reproached, we need to bear that burden with them. But we also need to know that as Christ did not please himself, he is in this with us. So whatever reproaches fall on us, they're falling on him. Because ultimately, it's not us they're angry at. It's not us they're separating from their company because we're now children of God, saints of God, They've got to separate us from their company to get him out of their lives. And we have to understand that, have that revelation, so that by the grace of God, we can bear up under reproaches. Because in some ways, to me, this is one of the most difficult of the five thorns or the five expressions of the thorn uh, to bear up under. Sometimes the reproaches that we experience are because of what our brothers and sisters go through, not because of what we experience personally. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32 says, But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were eliminated, you were illuminated. You endured a great flight of afflictions, afflictions, partly while she were made a gazing stock by both by reproaches and afflictions and partly while she became companions of them. That were so used. Now we got to get this right here. My brother can't be reproached without that affecting me. So this these this thorn of reproach is not just what happens to me personally. It happens. It's what happens to those that I love and those that I fellowship with and those that I'm in this with together. Now I will say this to you: if I if they get offended, I take their offense on them and they're not dealing with that offense. And I fellowship with them and their offense toward whoever treated them like this. It's much easier for God to deal with them over their offense than it is for me, him to deal with me over my transferred offense. Be very careful when you take up both the cause and the offense of somebody else because you make it very difficult for God to reach you. Because how can you forgive somebody that didn't do anything to you? Except you took that offense on you. Paul says, verse 34 of Hebrews 10, for ye had compassion on, let me read verse uh, 33, well, these three verses again. But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, ye endured a great flight of afflictions, afflictions, partly, partly whilst you were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions and partly while she became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion on me in my bonds when I was in jail and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring sub- substance. Our opinion of our lifestyle choices will be very different from others. Both those we know and those we do not know, both groups will reproach us. Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. 
for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is spoken of, evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. So you've got, you and I've got to get this revelation from the Holy Ghost. When they speak evil of us and we take that by the grace of God and we don't get offended and we pray for them that despitefully use us, shamefully use us, reproachfully use us. That's what that word spitefully use us means or despitefully use us. That's what it means. Shamefully or reproachfully use us. When we do that, God's glorified. The Lord God is glorified. Praise God. Moses valued God's approval more than man's agreement. Do, do we? Hebrews eleven twenty four says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming or giving greater value the reproach of Christ. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect and the recompense of the reward. So the thorn of reproach that comes. Are you going to value that reproach and its work in your life more than you value the good opinion of those who are speaking against you? Are you going to value God and the riches that he is producing in and through you by these reproaches more than you do the pain caused by those that you love and are reproaching you? In Jesus' name, we need to hear that. Number three is the thorn of necessities. This one's fairly straightforward. It it means literally according to strong strength, a constraint, by implication distress. Uh, There says it means necessity imposed either by circumstances or by law of duty regarding to one's advantage, custom argument, calamity, distress, straits. Uh, Vine says it's a necessity. What must needs be. Uh, the complete biblical dictionary says the worldly trials and hardships that we encounter, the outward pressures from powers and circumstances must be viewed from the perspective of God's will. God permits the inevitable. So his people after a short time of sufferings will share his glory. Offenses must, must come, but they last only a little while. And finally, uh, Barnes notes gets to the most specific imp, uh, use of the word uh, necessities in as it's applied by the Holy Ghost in this verse. He said, Mr. Barnes says, this is a strong term for afflictions and denotes the distress which arose from want. He everywhere endured adversity. He denotes unavoidable distress and calamity. So listen to Paul describe his necessities. Second Corinthians 12, uh, 11, 27. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in that's not sleeping but praying. That's what a watching is. In hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. These things literally describe needs that Paul had 
that were not met for a season or at all. If he's hungering and thirsting, that means uh, he's not choosing to fast. Fast means I've got food and I'm choosing not to eat. But in hungering and thirst means I, I would eat, but I don't have anything to eat. I would drink, but I don't have anything to drink. Needs. Experiencing needs. Necessities generally refers to having needs that the Father is not meeting, which may be one of the ultimate tests of our faith and trust in him. According to his testimony, Paul experienced this often. It appears as though the Father allowed Paul to be in this situation as a test of the church's attitude toward meeting his needs. We know this from the number of times that Paul referenced a church is either helping him or leaving it up to some other church to help him. We find instances of both of these things first in Ephesians 4.10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at your, at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. And then 2 Corinthians 11.1. 1, and when I was present with you and wanted, I had a need. I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking in me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. I was here with you at Corinth. I had needs, but you didn't supply them. But the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things, I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you. And so will I keep myself. In other words, I'm here in your midst ministering to you and I have necessities. And if you're paying attention, they're pretty obvious. <clears throat> and if you're not meeting them, then I receive that as a thorn. Because God sent people all the way from Macedonia with that which is helping me. Now, he didn't speak against them, but the action of the Macedonians condemned the Corinthians. Paul didn't condemn them. They condemned themselves. And then God sent them a witness of what they should have been doing. So the Apostle Paul, the one that said, my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory, suffered want. He said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content, whether uh, full or empty, whether abounding or being abased. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That's not a complete quote, but that fits here. Thorn number four, the thorn of persecutions. This one is really straightforward. Uh, Strong says the word persecution means, are you ready for it? Persecution. <laughs> it's derived from uh, the word that means to pursue, literally or figuratively, by implication, to persecute. Uh, Thayer says that this root word means to make, to make, to run or flee, to put to flight, to drive away. Uh, that is the purpose of persecution, to get us to run away, to get us to flee in any way, uh, whatever, to harass, to trouble, to molest one. Uh, the United Bible Society New Testament Translators Handbook Series says, for Paul, the persecutions were for religious reasons. They were for religious reasons. So generally, persecution refers to mistreatment of some by people that we do not know personally uh, 
and their and uh, no personally, and their animosity is strictly because of our faith. They don't know us, they don't anything about us, but our faith, what we stand for, what we believe, what we preach, are promotes in them to persecute us because they're against what we stand for. They're against what we believe. And never in my life, in this country, the United States right now, has there ever been more open hostility and persecution of Christians in general and other Christians specifically. So one man bows on a football field during the national anthem, and he's a hero. And another man bows on his knee on a football field to pray to his God, and he is reviled and mocked. <laughs> it's, it, it's easy to see the problem, isn't it? It's easy to see the difference, isn't it? Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So, For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. They persecuted Jesus. How many times? Would they have killed him if they were permitted to? Simply because of what he said. The things he said. Not because of who he was. Not because of who he was. And ultimately, he was persecuted for what he said and did. Not for the person he was. Because they didn't know him. He was in the world. And the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. They didn't even know who he was. So it wasn't because of who he was that he was crucified. It was because of what he said and did that they crucified him. So, my friend, what had happened to you and I? The fifth thorn, final thorn of Paul's thorns, is the thorn of distress. This is probably the most overarching general one, uh, Many things can apply here. Strong says it means literally narrowness narrowness of room or figuratively calamity. Uh, Thayer says it means narrowness of place, a narrow place, metaphorically, dire calamity, extreme affliction. Uh, Vine says it means it can also be translated anguish, uh, these distresses. Literally, narrowness of place. Narrow, coming from two words, narrow and place. Metaphorically came to mean the distress arising from the, that condition, anguish. The opposite state of being in a large place. And so metaphorically in a state of joy is represented by the word uh, plastusmos because it speaks of a large place. So when God enlarges us, he's not talking about making us physically larger or increasing our uh, 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 resources or whatever. When God enlarges us, he takes the pressure off. But distresses, 
narrows down on us. It's very confining. It feels very restrictive, restricting. There's just no way to turn. There's no, no, no door out of this. The complete word study, uh, uh, dictionary says the word means narrowness of space, confined space, affliction, distress, anguish. Generally distresses describes any type of circumstance that puts the believer in a very tight spot. Uh, this can be anything that causes distress or, and or anguish. Anything. It can be anything. A lot of times it's some kind of calamitous event that is life changing, natural life changing. Uh, one of the best friends I've ever had in this world. Second only to Alice and both of them are behind Jesus. Brother Bill Sisko was five years old. His dad, who was a Nazarene preacher, uh, told him, Bill, don't play with that hammer. But five-year-old Bill was so curious, he played with a hammer. And he was pulling a nail out of a board with that hammer. He had watched his dad do that. He knew how to do it. He did it. But when that nail came up, it flew up and hit him directly in the eye and put that eye out. And so for 75 plus years, my good friend Bill Sisko has lived with one eye. That was a distress. That was a narrow place in every, from every perspective. And he learned how to be content in the state in which God put him. Now, your calamity may not have lifetime lasting effects. They may not. Your calamity may have uh, a shorter term effect. But whatever that calamity is, whatever that distressing situation may be, that you feel hemmed in and you've got no way out, you lose your job, you, uh, uh, you, you, you take a reduction in pay. Your wife leaves you. Your husband leaves you. Your kids leave home and, and, uh, backslide and won't have anything to do with you. And there's nothing you can do and nothing you can say. That is a distress. And it will bring you to the end of yourself. Trust me. It will bring you to the end of yourself. You will, you cannot do anything about it, but give it to God. And trust him with it and let him give you peace in it till either he's done with it and what it's doing in your life and he decides to change it or you learn to adjust to live within that space that that distress has caused. Jesus name. We translates that verse that we're talking from this way in summary. Second Corinthians chapter 12 verse 10 from Weiss expanded translation of the New Testament. Wherefore, I am well content in weaknesses, in insults, in necessities, in persecutions, and in circumstances under which I am subject to extreme pressure on behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am filled with ability and power. The Lord has given this to, this to us. 
And as the conclusion of this lesson, even though it's going a little longer than you may be used to watching the other lessons, this is very important. I'm just going to read for you Paul's description of the expressions of those thorns or the thorn in his life to keep the puff out. In fact, this is in the chapter before he gives us this instruction. So these are the things that he he gloried in. 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen. I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. In other words, this is not divine utterance. This is me talking to you, explaining myself and defending myself. Now, what's amazing to me is the Holy Ghost permitted him to put this in here, just like the Holy Ghost put in the Bible, David's uh, committing adultery, Abraham lying, Hezekiah refusing the will of God and praying to live when God said he was going to die. Uh, Peter's cutting off the high priest servant's ear with a sword. The Holy Ghost let the failures of people be put in there. So here's Paul's failure of boasting. And the Holy Ghost had this put in here. But listen to this. What he's really doing is itemizing those things that God changed his perspective over as he explains in the very next chapter, which has been the whole focus of part four. So 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen. I say again, let me think, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, after their flesh, I will glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing you yourselves are wise. For ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak. Howbeit, wherein soever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered a shipwreck. Ship, suffered shipwreck. A night and day have I been in the deep. That means a drift on the ocean or the sea, the water. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without, that are, that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. 
the God of our fa- God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor Aretas, the king, kept the city at Damascus with a garrison, desirous to apprehend me, and through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Now, Paul said, I didn't speak this by the Holy Ghost, but we find out in this next cha- the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 12, that what he thought was boasting against the, the Lord was the boasting that God allowed because he boasted in his infirmities because the Lord revealed to him those infirmities made him weak. And that was the will of God so he could be made strong. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray right now the spirit of grace from the Father, even our Lord Jesus Christ, upon you and I, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, in his ways, in his thoughts, in his purposes, in his plan, would be would enlighten our understanding that we might know what it is he is doing in and through our lives so that we can be submitted participants with him as his conduits in his kingdom for his glory in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you.